0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Gazino. Ulysses, by James Joyce. Section six. Martin Cunningham first poked his silk-hatted head into the creaking carriage and, entering deftly, seated himself. Mr. Power stepped in after him, curving his height with care. Come on, Simon. After you, Mr. Bloom said. Mr. is covered himself quickly and got in, saying, Yes, yes. Are we all here now? Martin Cunningham asked. Come along, Bloom. Mr. Bloom entered and sat in the vacant place, he pulled the door to after him, and slammed it twice till it shut tight. He passed an arms for the arm strap, and looked seriously from the open carriage window at the lowered blinds of the avenue. One dragged aside, an old woman peeping, nose white-flattened against the pane, thanking her stars she was passed over, extraordinary the interest they'd taken a corpse. Glad to see us go, we'd give them such trouble coming. Job seems to suit them. Hugger-mugger in corners. Slop about in slipper-slappers for fear he'd wake. Then getting it ready, laying it out. Molly and Mrs. Fleming making the bed. Pull it more to your side. Our winding sheet. Never know who will touch you dead. Wash and shampoo. I believe they clip the nails and the hair. Keep a bit in an envelope. Grows all the same after. Unclean job. All waited. Nothing was said. Stowing in the wreaths, probably. I am sitting on something hard. Ah, that soap. In my hip pocket. Better shift it out of that. Wait for an opportunity. All waited. Then wheels were heard from in front, turning, then nearer, then horses' hoofs, A jolt. Their carriage began to move creaking and swaying. Other hoofs and creaking wheels started behind. The blinds of an avenue passed and number nine with its crepe knocker, door jar, at walking pace. They waited still, their knees jogging, till they had turned and were passing along the tram tracks. Tritonville Road, quicker. The wheels rattled, rolling over the cobbled causeway, and the crazy glasses shook rattling in the door-frames. "'What way is he taking us?' Mr. Power asked through both windows. "'Irish Town,' Martin Cunningham said. "'Rings End, Brunswick Street.' Mr. is nodded, looking out. "'That's a fine old custom,' he said. "'I am glad to see it has not died out.' All watched awhile through their windows, caps and hats lifted by passers. Respect. The carriage swerved from the tram track to the smoother road, past watery lane. Mr. Bloom at gaze saw a lithe young man, clad in mourning, a wide hat. "'There's a friend of yours gone by, Deedalus,' he said. "'Who's that?' "'Your son and heir.' "'Where is he?' Mr. Deedalus said, stretching over across. The carriage, passing the open drains and mounds of ridded-up roadway before the tenement-houses, lurched round the corner and, swerving back to the tram-track, rolled on noisily with chattering wheels. Mr. Dedalus fell back, saying, "'Was that Mulligan Cad with him? His Fidus Akatis?' "'No,' Mr. Bloom said. He was alone.' "'Down with his Aunt Sally, I suppose,' Mr. Dedalus said. "'The Golding Faction.' The drunken little costraw and Chrissy's, And Chrissy, Papa's little lump of dung. The wise child that knows her own father. Mr. Bloom smiled joylessly on Ringsend Road. Wallace Brothers, the Bottle Works, Dodder Bridge. Richie Golding and the legal bag. Golding, Collis and Ward, he calls the firm. His jokes are getting a bit damp. Great card he was. Waltzing in Stamer Street with Ignatius Gallagher on a Sunday morning, the landlady's two hats pinned on his head. Out on the rampage all night. Beginning to tell him now. That backache of his, I fear. Wife ironing his back. Think he'll cure it with pills. All breadcrumbs, they are. About six hundred percent profit. He's in with a low down crowd, Mr. Dedalus snarled. That mulligan is a contaminated, bloody, double knied ruffian, by all accounts. His name stinks all over Dublin. But with the help of God and his blessed mother, I'll make it my business to write a letter one of those days to his mother or his aunt, of whoever she is, that will open her eyes as wide as a gate. I'll tickle his catastrophe, believe you me. He cried above the clatter of the wheels. I won't have her bastard of a nephew ruin my son. A counter-jumper's son. Selling tapes in my cousin, Peter Paul Swiney's. Not likely. He ceased. Mr. Bloom glanced from his angry moustache to Mr. Power's mild face and Martin Cunningham's eyes and beard gravely shaking. Noisy, self-willed man, full of his son. He is right. Something to hand on. If little Rudy had lived, see him grow up. Hear his voice in the house, walking beside Molly in an Eton suit. My son, me in his eyes. Strange feeling it would be. From me, just a chance. Must have been that morning in Raymond Terrace. She was at the window, watching the two dogs at it, by the wall, of the cease-to-do evil. And the sergeant grinning up. She had that cream gown on, with a rip she never stitched. Give us a touch, Poldy. God, I'm dying for it. How life begins. Got big, then. Had to refuse the Greystones concert. My son inside her. I could have helped him on in life. I could. Make him independent. German, too. Are we late? Mr. Power asked. Ten minutes, Martin Cunningham said, looking at his watch. Molly, Millie. Something watered down her tomboy oaths Oh jumping Jupiter, ye gauds and little fishes. Still, she's a dear girl. Soon be a woman Mullinger, dearest Papley, young student. Yes, yes, a woman too. Life life The carriage heeled over and back, their four trunks swaying. Corney might have given us a more commodious yoke, Mr Power said. He might, Mr. Needless said, if he hadn't that squint troubling him. Do you follow me? He closed his left eye. Martin Cunningham began to brush away the crust crumbs from under his thighs. What is this? he said, in the name of God. Crumbs? Someone seems to have been making a picnic party here lately, Mr. Power said. All raised their thighs and eyed with disfavor the mildewed buttonless leather of the seats. Mr. Deedless, twisting his nose, frowned downward and said, "'Unless I'm greatly mistaken. What do you think, Martin?' "'It struck me, too,' Martin Cunningham said. Mr. Bloom set his thigh down. "'Glad I took that bath. I feel my feet quite clean, "'but I wish Mrs. Fleming had darned these socks better.' Mr. Deedless sighed resignedly. "'After all,' he said, "'it's the most natural thing in the world.' ''Did Tom Kernan turn up?'' Martin Cunningham asked, twirling the peak of his beard gently. ''Yes,'' Mr. Bloom answered. ''He's behind, with Ned Lambert and Hines.'' ''And Corny Kelleher himself?'' Mr. Power asked. ''At the cemetery,'' Martin Cunningham said. ''I met McCoy this morning,'' Mr. Bloom said. ''He said he'd try to come.'' The carriage halted short. ''What's wrong?'' "'We stopped. Where are we?' "'Mr. Bloom put his head out of the window. "'The Grand Canal,' he said. "'Gas works. "'Whooping cough, they said. Cures. "'Good job Milly never got it. "'Poor children. Doubles them up black and blue in convulsions. "'Shame, really. "'Got off lightly with illnesses compared. "'Only measles. "'Flaxseed tea. Scarlatina, Influenza epidemics. "'Canvassing for death.' Don't miss this chance. Dog's home over there. Poor old Athos. Be good to Athos, Leopold, is my last wish. Thy will be done. We obey them in the grave. A dying scrawl. He took it to heart, pined away. Quiet brute. Old men's dogs usually arm. A raindrop spat on his hat. He drew back and saw an instant of shower spray dots over the grey flags. "'Apart. Curious. Like through a colander. "'I thought it would. My boots were creaking, I remember now.' "'The weather is changing,' he said quietly. "'A pity it did not keep up fine,' Martin Cunningham said. "'Wanted for the country,' Mr. Power said. "'There's the sun again coming out.' "'Mr. Deedalus, peering through his glasses towards the veiled sun,' Held a mute curse at the sky. "'It's as uncertain as a child's bottom,' he said. "'We're off again.' The carriage turned again its stiff wheels, and their trunks swayed greatly. Martin Cunningham twirled more, qui- more quickly the peak of his beard. "'Tom Kernan was immense last night,' he said, "'and Paddy Leonard taking him off to his face. "'Oh, draw him out, Martin.' "'Mr. Power said eagerly. "'Wait till you hear him, Simon, "'on Ben Dollard's singing of The Croppy Boy.' "'Immense,' Martin Cunningham said pompously. "'His singing of that simple ballad, Martin, "'is the most trenchant rendering "'I have heard in the whole course of my experience.' "'Trenchant?' Mr. Power said, laughing. "'He's dead nuts on that. "'And the retrospective arrangement.' "'Did you read Dan Dawson's speech?' Martin Cunningham asked. "'I did not then,' Mr. Deedalus said. "'Where is it?' "'In the paper this morning.' Mr. Bloom took the paper from his inside pocket. "'That book I must change for her.' "'No, no,' Mr. Deedalus said quickly. "'Later on, please.' Mr. Bloom's glance travelled down the edge of the paper, scanning the deaths. Callan, Coleman... Dignum, Fawcett, Lowry, Nauman, Peak. What Peak is that? Is it the chap who was in Crosby and Elaine's? No. No, Sexton, Erbright, inked characters fast fading on the frayed breaking paper. Thanks to the little flower, sadly missed, to the inexpressible grief of his, aged eighty-eight after a long and tedious illness. "'Month's mind, Quinlan, on whose soul sweet Jesus have mercy. "'It is now a month since dear Henry fled to his home up above in the sky, "'where his family weeps and mourns his loss, hoping some day to meet him on high. "'I tore up the envelope? Yes. "'Where did I put her letter after I read it in the bath?' "'He patted his waistcoat pocket.' They're all right, dear Henry fled, before my patients are exhausted. National School, Mead's Yard, the Hazard, only two there now, nodding, full as a tick. Too much bone in their skulls, the other trotting round with a fare. An hour ago I was passing there, the Jarvis raised their hats a pointsman's back straightened itself upright suddenly against the tramway standard by Mr. Bloom's window. Couldn't they invent something automatic so that the wheel itself much handier? Well, but that fellow would lose his job then. Well, but then another fellow would get a job making the new invention. Ancient concert rooms. Nothing on there. A man in a buff suit with a crepe armlet. Not much grief there. Quarter morning. People in law, perhaps. They went past the bleak pulpit of St. Mark's, under the railway bridge, past the Queen's Theatre, in silence. Hoardings. Eugene Stratton, Mrs. Bantman Palmer. Could I go see Lee tonight, I wonder? I said, I. Or the Lily of Glarney? Elster Grimes Opera Company. Big powerful change. Wet bright bills for next week. Fun on the Bristol. Martin Cunningham could work a pass for the gaiety. Have to stand a drink or two. As broad as it's long. He's coming in the afternoon. Her songs. Plasto's. Sir Philip Crampton's memorial fountain bust. Who was he? How do you do? Mr. Cunningham said. "'raising his palm to his brow in salute. "'He doesn't see us,' Mr. Power says. "'Yes, he does. How do you do?' "'Who?' Mr. Dedalus asked. Blazes Boylan,' Mr. Power said. "'There he is, airing his quiff.' "'Just that moment I was thinking. "'Mr. Dedalus bent across to salute. "'From the door of the red bank, "'the white disc of a straw hat flashed reply. "'Spruce figure passed.' Mr. Bloom reviewed the nails on his left hand, then those of his right hand. The nails, yes. Is there anything more in him that they she sees? Fascination. Worst man in Dublin. That keeps him alive. They sometimes feel what a person is. Instinct. But a type like that? My nails. I am just looking at them, well-paired. And after, thinking alone body getting a bit softy. I would notice that, from remembering. What causes that? I suppose the skin can't contract quickly enough when the flesh falls off. But the shape is there. The shape is there still. Shoulders, hips. Plump. Night of the dance dressing. Shift stuck between the cheeks behind. He clasped his hands between his knees and, satisfied, sent his vacant glance over their faces. Mr. Power asked, "'How is the concert tour getting on, Bloom?' "'Oh, very well,' Mr. Bloom said. "'I hear great accounts of it. It's a good idea, you see.' "'Are you going yourself?' "'Well, no,' Mr. Bloom said. "'In point of fact I have to go down to County Clare on some private business.' You see, the idea is to, tr- to tour the chief towns. What you lose on one, you can make up on the other. Quite so, Mr Cunningham said. Mary Anderson is up there now. Have you good artists? Louis Werner is touring her, Mr Bloom said. Oh, yes, well, we'll have all top nobbers, J.C. Doyle and John McCarmack, I hope, and the best, in fact. And Madame... Mr. Power said, smiling, last but not least. Mr. Bloom unclasped his hands in a gesture of soft politeness, unclasped them. Smith O'Brien. Someone has laid a bunch of flowers there. Woman. Must be his death day. For many happy returns. The carriage wheeling by Pharrell's statue united noiselessly their unresisting knees. Oot! A dull-garbed old man from the curbstone tended his wares. His mouth opening, "Oot." Four bootlaces for a penny. Wonder why he was struck off the rolls. Had his office in Hume Street, same house as Molly's namesake Tweedy, Crown's lister for Waterford. Has that silk hat ever since? Relics of old decency, mourning too. Terrible come-down, poor wretch kicked about like snuff at a wake. O'Callaghan on his last legs. And, Madame? Twenty past eleven. Up. Mrs. Fleming is in to clean, doing her hair, humming voglio e non vorrei." No. Vore e non. Looking at the tips of her hairs to see if they are split. Mi tremo un poco il." "'Beautiful on that tré her voice is, "'weeping tone, a thrush, a thrustle. "'There is a word, thrustle, that expresses that. "'Her eyes passed lightly over Mr. Power's good-looking face, "'grayish over the ears. "'Madame, smiling. "'I smiled back. "'A smile goes a long way. "'Only politeness, perhaps. "'Nice fellow. "'Who knows, is that true about the woman he keeps?' "'not pleasant for the wife. "'Yet, they say, "'who was it told me? "'There is no carnal.' "'He would imagine that would get played out pretty quick. "'Yes, it was Crofton. "'Met him one evening, bringing her a pound of rump-steak. "'Who is this she was? "'Barmaid juries. "'Or the Moira, was it?' "'They passed under the huge-cloaked liberator's form. Martin, Cun- "'Martin Cunningham nudged Mr. Power.' "'Of the tribe of Reuben,' he said. "'A tall, black-bearded figure, bent on a stick, "'stumping round the corner of Elvory's elephant-house, "'showed them a curved hand open in his spine. "'In all his pristine beauty,' Mr. Power said. "'Mr. Deedless looked after the stumping figure and said mildly, "'The devil break the hasp of your back.' "'Mr. Power, collapsing in laughter, "'shaded his face from the window as the carriage passed Gray's statue.' "'We have all been there,' Martin Cunningham said broadly. "'His eyes met Mr. Bloom's eyes. "'He caressed his beard, adding, "'Well, nearly all of us.' "'Mr. Bloom began to speak with sudden eagerness "'to his companions' faces. "'That's an awfully good one that's going the rounds "'about Reuben Jay and the sun. "'About the boatman?' Mr. Power asked. "'Yes. Isn't it awfully good?' ''What is that?'' Mr. Deedless asked. ''I didn't hear it.'' ''There was a girl in the case,'' Mr. Bloom began, ''and he determined to send him to the Isle of Man out of harm's way. But when they were both...'' ''What?'' Mr. Deedless asked. ''That confirmed bloody hobbledehoy, isn't it?'' ''Yes,'' Mr. Bloom said. ''They were both on the way to the boat, and he tried to drown... drown Barabbas.'' Mr. Deedless cried. ''I wish to Christ he did.'' Mr. Power sent a long laugh down his shaded nostrils. "'No,' Mr. Bloom said, "'the sun himself.' Martin Cunningham thwarted his speech rudely. Reuben and the sun were piking it down the quay "'next the river on their way to the Isle of Man-boat, "'and the young chiseler suddenly got loose "'and over the wall with him into the Liffey. "'For God's sake!' "'Mr. Deedlers exclaimed in fright. "'Is he dead?' "'Dead!' "'Martin Cunningham cried. "'Not he. "'A boatman got a pole and fished him out "'by the slack of the breeches, "'and he was handed up to the father on the quay, "'more dead than alive. "'Half the town was there. "'Yes,' Mr Bloom said, "'but the funny part is. "'And Reuben Jay, Martin Cunningham said, "'gave the boatman a florin for saving his son's life.' "'A stifled sigh came from under Mr Power's hand. "'Oh, he did.' "'Martin Cunningham affirmed, "'like a hero, a silver florin. "'Isn't it awfully good?' "'Mr. Bloom said eagerly. "'One at eightpence too much,' "'said Mr. Dedalus dryly. "'Mr. Powers' choked laugh "'burst quietly in the carriage. "'Nelson's pillow. Eight plums a penny, eight for a penny. "'We had better look a little serious,' "'Martin Cunningham said.' Mr. Deedalus sighed. "'Ah, then, indeed,' he said. "'Poor little Paddy wouldn't grudge us a laugh. "'Many a good one,' he told himself. "'The Lord forgive me,' Mr. Power said, "'wiping his wet eyes with his fingers. "'Poor Paddy. "'I little thought a week ago when I saw him last "'and he was in his usual health "'that I'd be driving after him like this. "'He's gone from us.' "'As decent a little man as ever wore a hat,' Mr. is said. "'He went very suddenly. "'Break down,' Martin Cunningham said. "'Heart.' "'He tapped his chest sadly. "'Blazing face. Red-hot. "'Too much John Barleycorn. "'Cure for a red nose. "'Drink like the devil till it turns Adelaide. "'A lot of money he spent colouring it.' "'Mr. Power gazed at the passing houses with rueful apprehension. He had a sudden death, poor fellow, he said. The best death, Mr. Bloom said. Their wide, open eyes looked at him. No suffering, he said. A moment and all is over, like dying in sleep. No one spoke. Dead side of the street, this. Dull business by day, land agents, Temperance Hotel, Faulkner's Railway Guide, Civil Service College, Guilds, Catholic club, the industrious blind. Why? Some reason, sun or wind. At night, too, chummies and slaveys, under the patronage of the late Father Matthew, foundation stone for Parnell. Breakdown. Heart. White horses with white frontlet plumes came round the rotunda corner, galloping. A tiny coffin flashed by in a hurry to bury, a mourning coach, unmarried, black for the married, piebald for bachelors, done for a nun. Sad, Martin Cunningham said, a child. A dwarf's face mauve and wrinkled like little Rudy's was, a dwarf's body weak as putty and a white-lined deal-box, burial-friendly society pays penny a week for a sort of turf. Our little bagger baby meant nothing. Mistake of nature. If it's healthy, it's from the mother. If not, from the man. Better luck next time. Poor little thing, Mr. Deedler said. It's well out of it. The carriage climbed more slowly the hill of Rutland Square. Rattle his bones over the stones. Only a pauper nobody owns. "'In the midst of life,' Martin Cunningham said. "'But the worst of all,' Mr. Power said, "'is the man who takes his own life.' "'Martin Cunningham drew out his watch briskly, "'coughed, and put it back.' "'The greatest disgrace to have in the family,' Mr. Power added. "'Temporary insanity, of course,' Martin Cunningham said decisively. "'We must take a charitable view of it.' "'They say a man who does it is a coward,' Mr. Dedalus said. "'It is not for us to judge,' Martin Cunningham said. "'Mr. Bloom, about to speak, closed his lips again. "'Martin Cunningham's large eyes, looking away now. "'Sympathetic human man he is, intelligent, like Shakespeare's face. "'Always a good word to say. "'They have no mercy on that here, or infanticide. "'Refuse Christian burial.' They used to drive a stake of wood through his heart in the grave, as if it wasn't broken already. Yet sometimes they repent too late, found in the riverbed clutching rushes. He looked at me, on that awful drunkard of a wife of his, setting up house for her time after time, and then pawning the furniture on him every Saturday almost, leading him the life of the damned. Wear the heart out of a stone, that. Monday morning, start afresh. Shoulder to the wheel. Lord, she must have looked a sight that night. Deedalus told me he was in there. Drunk about the place and capering with Martin's umbrella. And they call me the Jewel of Asia, of Asia, the Geisha. He looked away from me. He knows, rattle his bones. That afternoon of the inquest, the red-labeled bottle on the table, the room in the hotel with hunting pictures, stuffy it was, sunlight through the slats of the Venetian blind, the coroner's sunlit ears, big and hairy, boots giving evidence, thought he was asleep first, then saw little yellow streaks on his face, had slipped down to the foot of the bed, verdict, overdose, death by misadventure. The letter. For my son Leopold. No more pain. Wake no more. Nobody owns. The carriage rattled swiftly along Blessington Street, over the stones. We are going the pace, I think, Martin Cunningham said. God grant he doesn't upset us on the road, Mr. Power said. I hope not, Mr. Cunningham said. That will be a great race tomorrow in Germany. Gordon Bennett. Yes, by Jove, Mr. Deedler said. That would be worth seeing, Faith. As they turned into Berkeley Street, a street organ near the basin sent over and after them a rollicking, rattling song of the halls. Has anybody here seen Kelly? k e w y Dead march from Saul. He's as bad as old Antonio. He left me on my ownio. Pirouette? The mater. Misery Cordier, Eccles Street. My house down there, big place, ward for incurables there, very encouraging. Our Lady's hospice for the dying, dead house, handy underneath, where old Mrs Riordan died. They looked terrible, the woman, her feeding cup and rubbing her mouth with a spoon, then the screen around her bed for her to die. Nice young student that was dressed that bite the bee gave me. He's gone over the lying-in hospital, they told me, from one extreme to the other. The carriage galloped around a corner, stopped. What's wrong now? A divided drove of branded cattle passed the windows, lowing, slouching by on padded hoofs, whisking their tails slowly on their bottled bony croops. Outside them and through them ran rattled sheep, bleating their fear. Emigrants, Mr. Power said. Hoo! the drover's voice cried, his switch sounding on their flanks. Hoo! Out of that! Thursday, of course. Tomorrow is killing day. Springers. Cuff sold them about twenty-seven quid each. For Liverpool, probably. Roast beef for old England. They buy up all the juicy ones. And then the fifth quarter lost. All that raw stuff, hide, hair, horns. Comes to a big thing in a year. Dead meat trade. By-products of the slaughterhouses for tanneries, soap, margarine. Wonder if that dodge works now getting dicky meat off the train at Clonsilla. The marriage moved on through the drove. I can't make out why the corporation doesn't run a tram line from the park gate to the quays, Mr. Bloom said. All those animals could be taken in trucks down to the boats. Instead of blocking up the thoroughfare, Mr. Cunningham said. Quite right. They ought to. Yes, Mr. Bloom said. And another thing I often thought is to have municipal funeral trams, like they have in Milan, you know. Run the line out to the cemetery gates and have special trams. Horse and carriage and all—didn't you see what I mean? "'Oh, that'd be damned for a story, Mister Dedalus said. Pullman car and saloon dining room—a poor lookout for corny, Mister Power added. Why, Mister Bloom said, turning to Dedalus, wouldn't it be more decent than galloping two abreast? Well, there's something in that, Mister Dedalus granted. And, Martin Cunningham said, we wouldn't have scenes like that when the hearse capsized round Dumface and upset the coffin onto the road. That was terrible, Mr. Powell's shocked face said. And the corpse fell about on the road. Terrible! First round Dunface, Mr. Dedalus said, nodding. Gordon Bennett, cub. Praises be to God, Martin Cunningham said piously. Bomb. Upset. A coffin bumped out onto the road, burst open. Paddy Dignum shot out and rolling over stiff in the dust in a brown habit too large for him. Red face, grey now, mouth fallen open, asking what's up now. Quite right to close it. Looks horrid open. Then the insides decompose quickly. Much better to close up all the orifice. Yes, also, with wax, the sphincter's loose, seal up all. Dunfys, Mr. Power announced as the carriage turned right. Dunfish corner, mourning coaches drawn up, drowning their grief. A pause by the wayside, tip-top position for a pub. Expect we'll pull up here on the way, back to drink his health. Pass round the consolation, elixir of life. "'But suppose now it did happen. "'Would he bleed if a nail, say, cut him on in the knocking about? "'He would and he wouldn't, I suppose. "'Depends on where. "'The circulation stops. "'Still, some might ooze out of an artery. "'It would be better to bury them in red. "'The dark red.' "'In silence they drove along Fibsborough Road. "'An empty horse trotted by, coming from the cemetery. "'Looks relieved.' Cross Guns Bridge, the Royal Canal, water roaring through the sluices, a man stood on his dropping barge between clamps of turf. On the towpath, by the lock, a slack-tethered horse aboard of the Boogaboo. Their eyes watched him. On the slow, weedy waterway he had floated on his raft, coastward, over Ireland, drawn by a hauled rope past beds of reed over slime mud-choked bottles carrion dogs Athlone Mullinger, Moy Valley I could make a walking tour to see Millie by the canal or cycle-down hire some old croc, crock safety Wren had one the other day at the auction but a lady's developing waterways James McCann's hobby to row me over the ferry cheaper transit by easy stages houseboats Camping out, also horses, to heaven by water. Perhaps I will, without writing. Come as a surprise. Lake Slip, Clonsilla, dropping down lock by lock to Dublin, with turf from the Midland bogs. Salute. He lifted his brown straw hat, saluting Paddy Dignam. They drove on past Brian Boromee House. "'Hear it now, near it now. "'I wonder how our friend Fogarty is getting on,' Mr. Power said. "'Better ask Tom Kernan,' Mr. Deedless said. "'How is that?' Martin Cunningham said. "'Left him weeping, I suppose?' "'Though lost to sight,' Mr. Deedless said. "'To memory, dear.' "'The carriage steered left for Finglass Road. "'The stonecutter's yard on the right. "'Last lap.' Crowded on the spit of land, silent shapes appeared, white, sorrowful, holding out calm hands, knelt in grief, pointing. Fragments of shapes hewn, in white silence, appealing, the best obtainable. Thos. H. Denani, monumental builder and sculptor, passed on the curbstone before Jimmy Geary, the sexton's. An old tramp set, grumbling, emptying the dirt and stones out of his huge dust-brown yawning boot, after life's journey. Gloomy gardens then went by, one by one, gloomy houses. Mr. Power pointed. That is where Childs was murdered, he said, the last house. So it is, Mr. Deedler said, a gruesome case. Seymour Bush got him off, murdered his brother. Or so they said. The Crown had no evidence, Mr. Power said. Only circumstantial, Martin Cunningham added. That's the maxim of the law. Better for ninety-nine guilty to escape than for one innocent person to be wrongfully condemned. They looked. Murderous ground. It passed darkly. Shuttered, tenantless, unweeded garden. Whole place gone to hell. Wrongfully condemned. Murder. The murderer's image in the eye of the murdered. They love reading about it. Man's head found in the garden. Her clothing consisted of how she met her death. Recent outrage. The weapon used. Murderer is still at large. Clues. A shoelace. The body to be exhumed. Murder will out. Cramped in this carriage. She mightn't like me to come that way without letting her know must be careful about women. Catch them once with their pants down. Never forgive you after. Fifteen. The high railings of prospect rippled past their gaze. Dark poplars. Rare white forms. Forms more frequent, white shapes thronged amid the trees. White forms and fragments streaming by mutely, sustaining vain gestures on the air. A felly hushed against the curbstone, stopped. Martin Cunningham put out his arm, and, wrenching back the handle, shoved the door open with his knee. He stepped out. Mr. Power and Mr. Daedalus followed. "'Change that soap now.' Mr. Bloom's hand unbuttoned his hip pocket swiftly, and transferred the paper-stuck soap to his inner handkerchief pocket.' He stepped out of the carriage, replacing the newspaper his other hand still held. Paltry funeral, coach and three carriages. It's all the same. Paul-bearers, gold reins, requiem mass, firing a volley, pomp of death. Beyond the hind carriage a hawker stood by his barrow of cakes and fruit. Simnel cakes, those are, stuck together. Cakes for the dead. Dog biscuits. Who ate them? mourners coming out. He followed his companions. Mr. Kernan and Ned Lambert followed, Hines walking after them. Corny Kelleher stood by the opened hearth and took out the two wreaths. He handed one to the boy. Where is that child's funeral disappeared to? A team of horses passed from Finglass with toiling, plodding tread dragging through the funereal silence a creaking wagon on which lay a granite block. The wagoner marching at the head saluted. Coffin now. Got here before us, dead as he is. Horse looking round at it with plumes, skewways. Dull eye, collar tight on his neck, pressing on a blood vessel or something. Do they know what they cart out here every day? must be twenty or thirty funerals every day, then Mount to Rome for the Protestants, funerals all over the world, everywhere, every minute, shoveling them under by the cartload, double quick, thousands every hour, too many in the world. Mourners came out through the gates, woman and a girl, lean-jawed harpy, hard woman at a bargain, her bonnet awry, Girl's face stained with dirt and tears, holding the woman's arm, looking up at her for a sign to cry. Fisher's face, bloodless and livid. The mutes shouldered the coffin and bore it in through the gates. So much dead weight, I felt heavier myself stepping out of that bath. First the stiff, then the friends of the stiff, Corny Kelleher and the boy followed with their wreaths. Who was that beside them? Ah. The brother-in-law. All walked after, Martin Cunningham whispered. I was in mortal agony with you talking of suicide before Bloom. What? Mr. Power whispered. How so? His father poisoned himself, Martin Cunningham whispered. Had the Queen's Hotel in Ennis. You heard him say he was going to Clare. Anniversary. Oh, God. Mr. Power whispered. First I heard of it. Poisoned himself? He glanced behind him, to where a face with dark sinking eyes followed towards the cardinal's mausoleum. Speaking. Was he insured? Mr Bloom asked. I believe so, Mr. Kernan answered. But the policy was heavily mortgaged. Martin is trying to get the youngster into our chain. How many children did he leave? Five. Ned Lambert said says he'll try to get one of the girls into Todd's A sad case. "'Mr. Bloom said gently. "'Five young children. "'A great blow to the poor wife,' Mr. Kernan added. "'Indeed, yes,' Mr. Bloom agreed. "'Has the laugh at him now?' "'He looked down at the boots he had blacked and polished. "'She had outlived him, lost her husband. "'More dead for her than for me. One must outlive. "'One must outlive the other, wise men say.' There are more women than men in the world. Condole with her. Your terrible loss. I hope you'll soon follow him. For Hindu widows only. She would marry another. Him? No. Yet who knows after. Widowhood not not the thing since the old queen died. Drawn on a gun carriage. Victoria and Albert. Frogmore Memorial Mourning. But in the end she put a few violets in her bonnet. Vain in her heart of hearts. All for a shadow. Consort not even a king. Her son was the substance. Something new to hope for. Not like the past she wanted back, waiting. It never comes. One must go first, alone under the ground, and lie no more in her warm bed. How are you, Simon? Ned Lambert said softly, clasping hands. Haven't seen you for a month of Sundays. Never better. How are all in Cork's own town? I was down there for the Cork Park races on Easter Monday, Ned Lambert said. Same old six and eightpence. Stopped with Dick Tivy. And how is Dick, the solid man? Nothing between himself and heaven, Ned Lambert answered. By the holy Paul! Mr. Deedlis said in subdued wonder. Dick Tivy bald." Martin is going to get up a whip for the youngsters, Ned Lambert said, pointing ahead. A few bob of skull, just to keep them going till the insurance is cleared up. Yes, yes, Mr. Deedlis said dubiously. Is that the eldest boy in front? Yes, Ned Lambert said, with the wife's brother. John Henry Menton is behind. He put down his name for a quid engage he did, Mr. Deedler said. I often told poor Paddy he ought to mind that job. John Henry is not the worst in the world. How did he lose it? Ned Lambert asked. Liquor, what? Many a good man's fault, Mr. Deedler said with a sigh. They halted about the door of the mortuary chapel. Mr Bloom stood behind the boy with a wreath, looking down at the sleek combed hair and at the slender furrowed neck inside his brand new collar. Poor boy. Was he there when the father? Both unconscious. Brighten up at the last moment and recognize for the last time all he might have done. I owe three shillings to old Grady. Would he understand? the mutes bore the coffin into the chapel which end is his head after a moment he followed the others in blinking in the screened light the coffin lay on its bier before the chancel four tall yellow candles at its corners always in front of us corny laying a wreath at each four corner beckoned to the boy to kneel the mourners knelt here and there in praying desks. Mr. Bloom stood behind near the front, and, when all had knelt, dropped carefully his unfolded newspaper from his pocket and knelt his right knee upon it. He fitted his black hat gently on his left knee and, holding its brim, bent over piously. A server bearing a brass bucket with something in it came out through a door. The white-smocked priest came after him, tidying his stole with one hand, balancing with the other a little book against his toad's belly. ''Who'll read the book?'' ''I,'' said the Rook. They halted by the bier, and the priest began to read out of his book with a fluent croak. ''Father Coffey!'' ''I knew his name was like a coffin!'' ''Domine Namine!'' ''Bully about the muzzle he looks, bosses the show!'' muscular question. Woe betide anyone that looks crooked at him. Priest, thou art Peter. Burst sideways like a sheep, in clover, deedless, says you will, with a belly on him like a poisoned pup. Most amusing expressions that man finds. Hrn. <sighs> Burst sideways. Non-interest in judicium conservaturo domine, Makes them feel more important to be prayed over in Latin. Requiem mass. crape weepers. Black-edged notepaper. Your name on the altar list. Chilly place, this. Wanted to feed well. Sitting in there all morning in the gloom, kicking his heels, waiting for the next please. Eyes of a toad, too. What swells him up that way? Molly gets swelled after cabbage. Air of the place, maybe. Looks full up of bad gas. Must be an infernal lot of bad gas around the place. Butchers, for instance. They get like raw beefsteaks. Who was telling me? Mervyn Brown. Down in the vaults of St. Werber's lovely old organ, hundred and fifty. They have to bore a hole in the coffins sometimes to let out the bad gas and burn it. Out it rushes. Blue. One whiff of that and you're a goner. My kneecap is hurting me. Ow. That's better. The priest took a stick with a knob at the end of it, out of the boy's bucket, and shook it over the coffin. Then he walked to the other end and shook it again. Then he came back and put it back in the bucket. As you were before you rested. It's all written down. He has to do it. Adne nos inducas in Tente Tionim. The server piped the answers in the treble. I often thought it'd be better to have boy servants. Up to fifteen or so. After that, of course, holy water that was, I expect, shaking sleep out of it. He must be fed up with that job, shaking that thing over all the corpses they trot up. What harm if you could see what he was shaking it over? Every mortal day a fresh batch, middle-aged men, old women, children, women dead in childbirth, men with beards, bald-headed businessmen, consumptive girls with little sparrows' breasts. All the year round he prayed the same thing over them all, and shook water on top of them, Sleep, on dignum now, in paradisum, said he was going to paradise, or is in paradise, says that over everybody hire some kind of a job, but he has to say something. The priest closed his book and went off, followed by the server. Corny Kelleher opened the side doors, and the grave diggers came in, hoisted the coffin again, carried it out, and shoved it on their cart. Corny Kelleher gave one wreath to the boy and one to the brother-in-law. All followed them out of the side doors into the mild grey air. Mr. Bloom came last, folding his paper again into his pocket. He gazed gravely at the ground, till the coffin cart wheeled off to the left. The metal wheels ground the gravel with a sharp grating cry, and the pack of blunt boots followed the trundled barrow along a lane of sepulchers. The ree, the raw the ree, the raw the roo, lord, I mustn't build here. The O'Connell Circle, Mr. Dedalus said about him, Mr. Powers' soft eyes went up to the apex of the lofty cone. He's at rest, he said, in the middle of his people. old Dano. But his heart is buried in Rome. How many broken hearts are buried here, Simon? Her grave is over there, Jack, Mr. Dedalus said. I'll soon be stretched beside her. Let him take me whenever he likes. Breaking down, he began to weep to himself quietly. Stumbling a little in his walk, Mr. Power took his arm. She's better where she is, he said kindly. I suppose so, Mr. Deedler said with a weak gasp. I suppose she's in heaven, if there is a heaven. Corny Kelleher stepped aside from his rank and allowed the mourners to plod by sad occasions, Mr. Kernan began politely. Mr. Bloom closed his eyes and sadly twice bowed his head. The others are putting on their hats, Mr. Kernan said. I suppose we can do so too. We are the last. The cemetery, this cemetery, is a treacherous place. They covered their heads. The reverend gentleman read the service too quickly, don't you think? Mr. Kernan said with reproof. Mr. Bloom nodded gravely, looking in the quick, bloodshot eyes. Secret eyes, secret searching. Mason, I think. Not sure. Beside him again. We are the last, in the same boat. Hope he'll say something else. Mr. Kernan added, The service of the Irish church used in Mount Jerome is simpler, more impressive, I must say. Mr. Bloom gave prudent assent. The language, of course, was another thing, Mr. Kernan said with solemnity. I am the resurrection and the life. That touches a man's inmost heart. It does, Mr. Bloom said. Your heart, perhaps, but what price the fellow in the six feet by two with his toes to the daisies? No touching that. Seat of the affections. Broken heart. A pump, after all. Pumping thousands of gallons of blood every day. One fine day it gets bunged up, and there you are. Lots of them lying around here, lungs, hearts, livers, old rusty pumps, damn the thing else. The resurrection and the life. Once you are dead, you are dead. That last day idea, knocking them all up out of their graves. Come forth, Lazarus. And he came fifth and lost the job. Get up. Last day then every fellow mousing around for his liver and his lights and the rest of his traps. Fine damn all of himself that morning. Pennyweight of powder in his skull. Twelve grams, one pennyweight. Troy measure. Corny Kelleher fell into step at their side. Everyone went off A1, he said. What? He looked at them from his drawling eye. Policeman's shoulders. With your toroloom, toroloom. "'As it should be,' Mr. Kernan said. "'What, eh?' Corny has said. "'Mr. Kernan assured him. "'Who is that chap behind with Tom Kernan?' "'John Henry Menton asked. "'I know his face.' "'Ned Lambert glanced back. "'Bloom,' he said. "'Madame Marion Tweedy, that was. "'Is, I mean, the soprano. "'She's his wife.' "'Oh, to be sure,' "'John Henry Menton said.' I haven't seen her for some time. She was a fine-looking woman. I danced with her, wait, 15, seventeen golden years ago, at Matt Dillon's in Town. And a good armful she was. He looked behind through the others. What is he? he asked. What does he do? Wasn't he in the stationary line? I fell foul of him one evening, I remember, at Bowles. Ned Lambert smiled. Yes, he was, he said, in Wisdom Healy's. A traveller for blotting paper. God's name, John Henry Menton said. What did she marry a coon like that for? She had plenty of game in her then. Has still, Ned Lambert said. He does some canvassing for ants. John Henry Menton's large eyes stared ahead. The barrow turned into a side lane. A portly man, ambushed among the grasses, raised his hat in homage. The gravediggers touched their caps. John O'Connell, Mr. Power said, pleased. He never forgets a friend. Mr. O'Connell shook all their hands in silence. Mr. Deedalus said, I am come to pay you another visit. My dear Simon, the caretaker answered in a low voice, I don't want your custom at all. Saluting Ned Lambert and John Henry Menton, he walked on at Martin Cunningham's side, puzzling two long keys at his, at his back. "'Did you hear that one?' he asked them, "'about Malkai from the Coon? "'I did not,' Martin Cunningham said. They bent their silk hats in concert, and Hines inclined his ear. The caretaker hung his thumbs in the loops of his gold watch-chain, and spoke in a discreet tone to their vacant smiles. They tell the story, he said, that two drunks came out here one foggy evening to look for the grave of a friend of theirs. They asked for Mulcahy from the coombe and were told where he was buried. After traipsing about in the fog they found the grave sure enough. One of the drunks spelt out the name, Terence Mulcahy. The other drunk was blinking up at a statue of our saviour the widow had got put up. The caretaker blinked up at one of the sepulchers they passed. He resumed. And after blinking up at the second figure, not a bloody bit like the man, says he. That's not Malcahy, says he, whoever done it. Rewarded by smiles, he fell back and spoke with Corny Kelleher, accepting the dockets given him, turning them over and scanning them as he walked. That's all done with a purpose, Martin Cunningham explained to Hines. I know, Hines said, I know that. To cheer a fellow up, Martin Cunningham said. It's pure good-heartedness. Damn the thing else. Mr. Bloom admired the caretaker's prosperous bulk. All want to be on good terms with him. Decent fellow, John O'Connell. Real good sort. Keys, like Keys ad. No fear of anyone getting out. No pass-out checks. Habeas corpus. I must see about that ad after the funeral. Did he write Bald's Bridge on the envelope I took to cover when she disturbed me writing to Martha? Hope it's not chucked in the dead-letter office. Be the better off a shave. Grey sprouting beard. That's the first sign when the hairs come out grey and temper getting cross. Silver threads among the grey. Fancy being his wife. Wonder he had the gumption to propose to any girl. Come out and live in the graveyard dangle that before her it might thrill her first courting death shades of night hovering there with all the dead stretched about the shadows of the tombs when churchyards yawn and Daniel O'Connell must be a descendant I suppose who is this used to say he was a queer breedy man great catholic all the same like a big giant in the dark will-o'-the-wisp gas of graves we want to keep her mind off it to conceive it all "'Women especially are so touchy. "'Tell her a ghost story in bed to make her sleep. "'Have you ever seen a ghost?' "'Well, I have. "'It was pitch-dark night. "'The clock was on the stroke of twelve. "'Still they'd kiss all right if properly keyed up. "'Halls in Turkish graveyards. "'Learn anything if taken young. "'You might pick up a young widow here. "'Men like that. "'Love among the tombstones.' Romeo splice of pleasure in the midst of death we are in life both ends meet tantalizing for the poor dead smell of grilled beefsteaks to the starving gnawing their vitals desire to grig people Molly wanting to do it at the window eight children he has anyway he has seen a fair share go under in his time lying around him field after field holy fields more room if they buried them standing. Sitting or kneeling you couldn't Standing? His head might come up some day above ground in a landslip with his hand pointing. All honeycombed the ground must be, oblong cells. And very neat he keeps he keeps it too, trim grass and edgings. His garden, Major Gamble calls Mount Jerome. Well so it is, ought to be flowers of sleep. Chinese cemeteries with giant poppies growing produce the best opium, Mastiansky told me. The botanic gardens are just over there. It's the blood sinking in the earth gives new life. Same idea those Jews, they said, killed the Christian boy. Every man his price. Well-preserved fat corpse, gentleman, epicure, invaluable for fruit garden. A bargain. But carcass of William Wilkinson, Auditor and accountant, lately deceased. £3.13 and 6. With thanks. I dare say the soil will be quite fat with corpse manure, bones, flesh, nails, charnel houses. Dreadful. Turning green and pink, decomposing. Rot quick in damp earth. The lean old ones tougher. Then a kind of a tallowy, kind of cheesy. They begin to get black black treacle oozing out of them, then dried up. Death moths. Of course the cells of whatever they are go on living, changing about, live forever practically, nothing to feed on, feed on themselves. But they must breed a devil of a lot of maggots. you must be simply swirling with them. Your head is simply swirls. Those pretty little seaside girls... He looks cheerful enough over it, gives him a sense of power, seeing all the others go under first. wonder how he looks at life. Cracking his jokes, too, warms the cockles of his heart, the one about the bulletin. Spurgeon went to heaven, 4 a.m. this morning, 11 p.m., closing time. Not arrived yet. Peter. The dead themselves, the men anyhow, would like to hear an odd joke, or the women to know what's in fashion. A juicy pear or lady's punch, hot, strong, and sweet, keep out the damp. he must laugh sometimes, so better to do it that way. Grave diggers in Hamlet shows the profound knowledge of the human heart, Down to joke about the dead for two years at least. De mortuis nil nisi prius got out of mourning first, hard to imagine his funeral seems a sort of joke. Read your own obituary notice. They say you live longer. Gives you second wind. New lease of life. How many have you for tomorrow? the caretaker asked. Two, Corny Kelleher said. Half ten and eleven. The caretaker put the papers in his pocket. The barrow had ceased to trundle. The mourners split and moved to each side of the hole, stepping with care around the graves. Gravediggers bore the coffin and set its nose on the brink, looping the bands round it. Burying him, we come to bury Caesar, his Ides of March or June. He doesn't know who is here, nor care. Now who is that lanky-looking galoot over there in the Mackintosh? Now who is he, I'd like to know. Now I'd give a trifle to know who he is. Always someone turns up you never dreamt of. A fellow could live on his, on his lonesome all his life. Yes, he could. Still, he'd have to get someone to sod him after he died, so he could dig his own grave. We all do. Only man buries. No, ants too. First thing strikes anybody, bury the dead. Say Robin Crusoe was true to life. Well, then Friday buried him. Even Friday buries a Thursday, if you come to look at it. Oh, poor Robinson Crusoe. How could you possibly do so? Poor Dignam, his last lie on the earth in this box. When you think of them all, it does seem a waste of wood, all gnawed through. They could invent a handsome bier with a kind of panel sliding, let it down that way. What anyway, they might object to be buried out of another fellow's. They're so particular. Lay me in my native earth, bit of clay from the holy land, only a mother and dead-born child ever buried in the one coffin. I see what it means. I see. To protect him as long as possible, even in the earth. The Irishman's house is his coffin, embalming in catacombs, mummies, the same idea. Mr. Bloom stood far back, his hat in his hand, counting the bared heads. Twelve. I'm thirteen. No, the chap in the Mackintosh is thirteen. Death's number. Where the deuce did he pop out of? He wasn't in the chapel, that I'll swear. Silly superstition, that, but thirteen. Nice soft tweed Ned Lambert has in that suit. Tinge of purple. I had one like that when we lived in Lombard Street West. Dressy fellow he was once. Used to change three suits in a day. Must get that grey suit of mine turned by Messias. Hello, it's died. His wife forgot he's not married, or his landlady ought to have picked out those threads for him. The coffin dived out of sight, eased down by the men straddled on the grave trestles. They struggled up and out, and all uncovered. Twenty. Pause. If we were all suddenly somebody else, far away a donkey-braid. Rain. No such ass. Never see a dead one, they say. Shame of death. They hide. Also poor papa went away. Gentle sweet air blew round the bared heads in a whisper. Whisper. The boy by the grave head held his wreath with both hands, staring quietly at the black open space. Mr. Bloom moved behind the portly kindly caretaker, well-cut frock-coat, weighing them up, perhaps, to see which will go next. Well, it is a long rest. Feel no more. It's the moment you feel. Must be damned unpleasant. Can't believe it at first. Mistake must be. Someone else. Try the house opposite. Wait, I wanted to. I haven't yet. Then darkened death-chamber, light they want, whispering all around you. Would you like to see a priest?' rambling and wandering delirium all you hid your life the death struggle his sleep is not natural press his lower eyelid watching is his nose pointed in his jaw sinking are the soles of his feet yellow pull the pillow away and finish it off on the floor since he's doomed devil in that picture of sinner's death showing him a woman dying to embrace her in his shirt last act of Lucia shall I never more behold thee bam he expires gone at last people talk about you a bit forget you don't forget to pray for him remember him in your prayers even Parnell Ivy Day dying out then they follow dropping into a hole one after the other we are praying now for the repose of his soul hoping you'll well and not in hell nice change of air. Out of the frying pan of life into the fire of purgatory. Does he ever think of the hole waiting for himself? You say you do when you shiver in the sun. Someone walking over it. Call boys warning. Near you. Mine over there towards Finglass. The plot I bought. Mama. Poor Mama. And little Rudy. The grave diggers took up their spades and flung heavy clods of clay in the coffin in on the coffin. mister Bloom turned away his face. And if he was alive all the time? Phew. By jingle, that would be awful. No no, he is dead, of course. Of course he is dead. Monday he died. They ought to have some law to pierce the heart and make sure, or an electric clock, or a telephone in the coffin, and some kind of a canvas air hole flag of distress. Three days. Rather long to keep them in summer. Just as well to get shut off them. As soon as you are, sure there's no. The clay fell softer. Begin to be forgotten. Out of sight, out of mind. The caretaker moved away a few paces and put on his hat. Had enough of it. The mourners took heart of grace, one by one, covering themselves without show. Mr Bloom put on his hat and saw the portly figure make his way its way deftly through the maze of graves. Quietly, sure of his ground, he traversed the dismal fields. Hines trotting down something in his notebook. Ah the names, but he knows them all. No, coming to me. I am just taking the names, Hines said below his breath. What is your Christian name? I'm not sure. L, Mr Bloom said. Leopold. And you might put down McCoy's name, too. He asked me to. Charlie, Hines said, writing. I know. He was on the Freeman once. So he was before he got the job in the morgue under Louis Byrne. Good idea, a post mortem for doctors. Find out what they imagine they know. He died of a Tuesday. Got the run. Levant it with a cash of a few ads. Charlie, you're my darling. That was why he asked me to. Oh well, does no harm. I saw to that, McCoy. Thanks, old oh chap. Much obliged. Leave him under an obligation. Costs nothing. And tell us, Hines said, do you know that fellow in the? Fellow was over there, and the. He looked around. Mackintosh. Yes, I saw him. Mister Bloom said, where is he now? Mackintosh, Hines said, scribbling. I don't know who he is. Is that his name? He moved away, looking about him. No, Mister Bloom began turning and stopping. I say, Hines, didn't hear. What? Where has he disappeared to? Not a sign. Well, of all the, has anyone here seen? K E double L. Become invisible. Good Lord, what became of him? A seventh grave digger came beside Mister Bloom to take up an idle spade. Oh, excuse me. He stepped aside nimbly. Clay, brown, damp, began to be seen in the hole. It rose, nearly over. A mound of damp clods rose more, rose, and the gravediggers rested their spades, all uncovered again for a few instants. The boy propped his wreath against a corner, the brother-in-law his on a lump. The gravediggers put on their caps and carried their earthy spades towards the burrow, They knocked the blades lightly on the turf, clean, one bent to pluck from the haft a long tuft of grass. One, leaving his mates, walked slowly on with shouldered weapon, its blade blue-glancing. Silently, at the grave head, another coiled a coffin band, his naval cord. The brother-in-law, turning away, placed something in his free hand, thanks and silence. "'Sorry, sir, trouble.' "'Headshake. I know that. For yourselves just.' "'The mourners moved away slowly, without aim, by devious paths, "'staying at Wilds to read a name on a tomb. "'Let us go round by the chief's grave,' Hines said. "'We have time.' "'Let us,' Mr. Power said. "'They turned to the right, following their slow slow thoughts. "'With awe Mr. Power's blank voice spoke.' Some say he is not in that grave at all, that the coffin was filled with stones, that one day he will come again. Hines shook his head. Parnell will never come again, he said. He's there, all that was mortal of him. Peace to his ashes. Mr. Bloom walked unheeded along his grove by saddened angels, crosses, broken pillars, family vaults, stone hopes praying with upcast eyes, old islands hearts and hands more sensible to spend the money on some charity for the living pray for the repose of the soul of does anybody really plant him and have done with him like down a coal shoot, coal shoot. then lump them together to save time all souls day twenty-seventh I'll be at his grave ten shillings for the gardener he keeps it free of weeds. Old man himself, bent down double with his shears clipping, near death's door. Who passed away? Who departed this life? As if they did it of their own accord. Got the shove, all of them. Who kicked the bucket? More interesting if they told you what they were. So and so will write. I travelled for cork lino. I paid five shillings in the pound or a woman's, with her saucepan. I cooked good Irish stew. Eulogy on a country churchyard, it ought to be that poem, of whose is it? Wordsworth, or Thomas Campbell. into interest the Protestants put it. Oh, Dr. Murrans, The great physician called him home. Well, it's God's Acre for them. Nice country residence, newly plastered and painted. Ideal spot to have a quiet smoke, and read the church times. Marriage adds they never try to beautify. Rusty wreaths hung on knobs, garlands of bronze foil. Better value that for the money. Still, the flowers are more poetical. The other gets rather tiresome, never withering, expresses nothing, immortelles. A bird sat tamely perched on a poplar branch, like stuffed, like the wedding present Alderman Hooper gave us. Hoo! Not a budge out of him. Knows there are no catapults to let fly at him. Dead animal, even sadder. Silly Millie burying the little dead bird in the kitchen matchbox, a daisy chain and bits of broken chanies on the grave. The sacred heart, that is, showing it. Heart on his sleeve. Ought to be sideways and red, it should be painted like a real heart. Ireland was dedicated to it, or whatever that. Seems anything but pleased. Why this infliction? Would birds come then and peck like the boy with a basket of fruit? But he said no, because they ought to have been afraid of the boy. Apollo, that was. How many? All these here once walked round Dublin, faithful departed. As you are now, so once we were we. Besides, how could you remember everybody? Eyes, walk, voice. Well, the voice, yes. Gramophone. Have a gramophone in every grave or keep it in the house. After dinner on a Sunday. Put on poor old great-grandfather. craw Hello, hello, hello. Or more fully glad crack. Awfully glad to see you again. Hello, hello. Remind you of the voice like a photograph reminds you of the face. Otherwise you couldn't remember the face after fifteen years, they say. For instance, who? For instance, some fellow that died when I was in Wisdom It's A rattle of pebbles. Wait, stop. He looked down intently into a stone crypt some animal. Wait, there he goes. An obese grey rat toddled along the side of the crypt, moving the pebbles. An old stager, great-grandfather, he knows the ropes. The grey alive crushed itself in under the plinths, wriggled itself in under it. Good hiding place for treasure. Who lives there? Are lay the remains of Robert Emery, "'Robert Emmett was buried here by torchlight, wasn't he? "'Making his rounds. "'Tail gone now. "'One of those chaps would make short work of a fellow, "'pick the bones clean, no matter what it was, who it was. "'Ordinary meat for them. "'A corpse's meat gone by. "'Well, and what's cheese? corpse of milk. "'I read in the voyages in China "'that the Chinese say a white man smells like a corpse.' Cremation better. Priests dead against it. Devilling for the other firm. Wholesale burners and Dutch oven dealers. Time of the plague. Quicklime fever pits to eat them. Lethal chamber, ashes to ashes. Or bury at sea. Where is that Parsee tower of silence? Eaten by birds. Earth, fire, water. Drowning, they say, is the pleasantest. See a whole life in a flash being brought back to life? No. Can't bury in the air, however. Out of a flying machine. Wonder does the news go about whenever a fresh one is let down. Underground communication. Who learned that from them? Wouldn't be surprised. Regular square feed for them. Flies come before he's well dead. Got wind of Dignum. They wouldn't care about the smell of it salt-white crumbling mush of corpse smell, taste like raw white turnips the gates glimmered in front, still open back to the world again enough of this place brings you a bit nearer every time last time he was here was Mrs. Sinico's funeral poor papa too the love that kills and even scraping up the earth at night with a lantern like that case I read of to get at fresh-buried females, or even putrefied with running grave-sores. Give you the creeps after a bit. I will appear to you after death. You will see my ghost after death. My ghost will haunt you after death. There was another world after death named Hell. I do not like that other world, she wrote. No more do I. Plenty to see and hear and feel yet feel live, warm beings near you. Let them sleep in their maggoty beds. They are not going to get me this innings. Warm beds. Warm, full-blooded life. Martin Cunningham emerged from a side pass, talking gravely. Solicitor, I think. I know his face. Minton, John Henry, solicitor. Commissioner for oaths and affidavits. Dignam used to be in his office. Matt Dillon's long ago jolly-mat, convivial evenings. Cold fowl, cigars, the tantalist glasses. Hot of gold, really. Yes, Menton. Got his rag out that evening on the bowling green because I sailed inside him. Pure fluke of mine, the bias. Why, he took such a rooted dislike to me. Hate at first sight. Molly and Flowey Dillon linked under the lilac tree, laughing, "'Fellow always like that, mortified if women are by. "'Got a dinge on the side of his hat. "'Carriage, probably. "'Excuse me, sir,' Mr. Bloom said beside them. "'They stopped. "'Your hat is a little crushed,' Mr. Bloom said, pointing. "'John Henry Menton stared at him for an instant, without moving. "'There,' Martin Cunningham helped, pointing also. "'John Henry Menton took off his hat, "'bulged out the dinge and smoothed the nap.' with care on his coat sleeve. He clapped the hat on his head again. It's all right now, Martin Cunningham said. John Henry Menton jerked his head down in acknowledgement. Thank you, he said shortly. They walked on towards the gates. Mr. Bloom, chap fallen, drew behind a few places so as not to overhear. Martin laying down the law. Martin could wind a sappy head like that round his little finger without his seeing it. Oyster eyes. Never mind. Be sorry after, perhaps, when it dawns on him. Get the pull over him that way. Thank you. How grand we are this morning. This is the end of section 6 of Ulysses by James Joyce. Read by Gesine in a cafe in Valletta, June 2006.